Okay, so something I've been doing in my spare time over the past year is I've been watching every movie and TV show that has featured a fictional portrayal of Richard Nixon, the 37th president of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. And when I say fictional, I mean like an actor is portraying him in a performance, dramatizing events in American history. Good evening. This is the 37th time I have spoken to you from this office. So many actors have portrayed Richard Nixon over the years. Anthony Hopkins in 1995's Nixon. Now, if we stick it out, we'll end up negotiating separately with both the Chinese and the Soviets. And we'd get better deals than we ever dreamed of from both. Frank Langella in 2008's Frost Nixon. You're quoting me out of context, out of order, and I might add, I have participated in all these interviews without a single note in front of me. Phil Baker Hall in 1984's Secret Honor. They even said that I stole the goddamn silverware out of the White House for Christ's sake. Funny ones like Billy West from Futurama. Well, listen here, Missy. Computers may be twice as fast as they were in 1973, but your average voter is as drunk and stupid as ever. Not so great ones like John Cusack in Lee Daniels' The Butler. I don't want to say anything negative about that Kennedy boy. I'm sure he's a real nice fellow. But do you really want that spoiled rich son of a bitch fuck to be your next president? And that's only a few of them. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to guess why there are so many portrayals of Nixon. He was the commander in chief in a turning point in American history, 1969 to 1974. How and why did America get involved in Vietnam in the first place? Of course, Nixon left the White House as a disgraced president, finally beaten down by the Watergate scandal. You know, the break-in into the DNC headquarters, the cover-up, the hush money, the so-called dirty tricks, and famously, the evidence from the secret audio recordings Nixon had running for years. You want the money, you need the money. You can get Watergate was debatably the biggest public scandal to the presidency up to that point. And because of it, there have been so many stories and so many characters from that whole time that we still hear about and still hear from today. My name is John Dean. I was Richard Nixon's White House counsel. And also like Nixon was a go-to impression or costume or impersonation. He had a very distinct look, his hairline, the nose, the jowls the way he talked. Well, I'm not a crook. The personality he projected, it was all very unique, to a point where he was developed into a cartoon character over the years. I am not a crook's head. So I really wanted to dedicate some time on the show tonight to talk about the many, many faces and voices of President Richard Nixon. We'll get into that and a whole lot more on tonight's Aw, oh, Would You Look at the Time. you look at the time. Mr. President, to try and review your account of Watergate in one program is a daunting task. God damn it, I'm never going to discuss this son of a bitch in Watergate thing again. This thing is with us tonight, you all know Rich, he, uh, I sit on a talk show. Let them listen to me. The behind his fall were many. His problems with L. Patrick Gray and the FBI, the Ellsberg break-in case, the so-called enemies of the president's list, the ITT and all of its political overtones, his own personal income tax difficulties all took their toll. But Watergate dealt the final blow. All right, why did I get so obsessed with media portrayals of Richard Nixon? 
Uh, I don't know, it's just kind of a funny pattern I noticed. Not only are there a lot of them, they're all pretty goofy. Some are good, but a lot were very silly. Would you like some cottage cheese uh, with ketchup? The original concept for this episode was for Allegra and I to go through all the Nixon portrayals and review them one by one. This was an idea I had for our blog, but instead I felt it would be good to just like hear them all together. (laughs) No, not like that. Like back to back. And we did just that. Uh, And I'm going to play a little bit of that here. He's kind of developed into a cartoon ever since Watergate because of all of these fictional portrayals of him basically presenting him as an absurd kind of dude. So I feel like we have to start with this one, which is one of the movies you really liked, Dick from 1999 with Dan Hedaya as Nixon. We don't think that you've been completely honest with us. If this is about the Watergate nonsense, let me say once again, I had nothing to do with it, okay? It's a plot created by my enemies to disgrace me. Actually, it was just about the dog. You act like you like him, but we don't think you do. I mean, it was my favorite mostly because, like, the concept is silly, and I love Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams, who were very young in this, and Mm -hmm. it was just fun watching this. Also, Dana Day, I think, of everyone, looked the most like Nixon Mm -hmm. of all of these movies that we have watched. So I did appreciate that. Also, he was just, like, a funny character with the dog situation. Like, yes, obviously none of it is even trying to be anything close to reality because, of course, Deep Throat was not two teen girls Mm -hmm. who were, like, you know, vapid. But someone who does not share the interest in the history of this as you with you, it's just like, I'm here for a good time, as good of a time as I can have with this subject. So this is the one I really liked watching the most. Let's go to Nixon's The One from 2013. Harry Shearer plays Nixon. I'm surprised that we really have. Who did this? Did Haldeman tell you to have this or somebody? No, I did it. This is one of my favorites, and it's a cool concept. Uh, It's a miniseries on YouTube you can watch. They're short reenactments of the Nixon White House tapes. Uh, So in this series, they're saying verbatim what was said in the Oval Office, taken straight from those tapes, uh, and added a visual element to it, you know? Yes. The voice is pretty good. I think the acting really kind of makes it sound like you are listening in on this conversation. It feels very natural. There's pauses and filler words. They're finished. But the Ivy League schools are finished. I thought I told you that. Well, look, I... Henry, I would not have had them in. Don't ever do that again. Mm. Don't ever have them. They came out against us when it was tough. Mm. Don't ever have them in again. And when it, they, it, after you come back from your trip, if they want to do it, no, don't no. ever go to an Ivy League school again. Uh, no. Never, never, never. I really enjoyed watching this. It's because of how intimate the play felt. I just want to play the actual tape that was based on the clip that we just listened to. They're finished. The Ivy League schools are finished. So this, Harry, I would not have had them in. Don't ever do that again. Well, don't say. ever have them. They came out against us when it was tough. Don't ever have them in again. And when they kept you get back to this trip, they want to do it. Don't oh, no. ever go to an Ivy League school again. Ever. Never, never, never. This one's definitely for Nixon nerds. I feel like when I watched it with you, you got secretly upset because I had no reaction and thought it was kind of boring and pointless. (laughs) It's just like, I don't really want to listen to the real tapes because also the audio quality is not as good. But I'm just like, they don't do anything interesting with them. So I just found it kind of boring. And like, I didn't see why he did this other than to do the performance. And like, yes, it is 
more of an accurate portrayal of Nixon from that perspective. But I didn't feel like Harry Shearer was doing anything creative or unique with this portrayal. So I just thought this was like not at all interesting. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. Yes, uh, that's the whole point of this. Let's go to 2009's Watchmen and Nixon's played by Robert Wisden. The United States does not start fights. Let it be clear. We maintain our strength in order to maintain peace. If you've read or seen Watchmen, you know, like, it's this alternate reality where Nixon is still president in 1985 when uh, Watchmen takes place. This is pure cartoon from what I'm seeing. <laughs> yeah. It's like the live action version of Billy West, but not endearing. I appreciate the effort. It kind of throws me off a little bit, but it is a comic book movie. Humanity is in the hands of a higher authority than mine. Let's just hope he's on our side. Let's go to another comic book movie, X-Men Days of Future Past, 2014. Nixon is played by Mark Camacho. I want to make a demonstration. I want the world to know that we can protect them. What do you need to get these things operational? Mark Camacho, he kind of looks more like Chris Christie than Richard Nixon in this movie. Oh, you know what? That's true. He has like this kind of round, small head and round, big body. Less makeup than Watchmen, but still a lot here. This also sounds pretty cartoony. It's not terrible. I don't know. There's a line here that cracks me up in it, and it sounds like it was later dubbed in in post-production. It sounds like Nixon has a plate of food in his mouth or something. You're telling me these mutants are out in the world. On our best defense are these giant metal robots? Let's go to 2009's Black Dynamite. Nixon is played by James McManus. Black Dynamite. Uh, there's a uh, perfectly reasonable explanation for that. Showtime, Oh my god. Let's jump to uh, Nixon's appearance in Call of Duty Black Ops from the 2010 video game. Nixon is played by Dave Mallow, and uh, in this clip, he fights zombies with uh, JFK and Castro. As I like to think, from the long history of the world, that there are only a few generations. Sounds like someone breaking in! It's just a storm, Dick. Wow, apparently he's a playable character. <laughs> You can't stop Tricky Dick! Let's go to Nixon's appearance in Doctor Who in an episode from 2011. Hello? Who is this? This is President Nixon. Who's calling? Is this you again? Don't watch it without any context. I literally have never felt more confused in my life. Let's go to another sci-fi TV show. Legends of Tomorrow from a 2019 episode has Nixon in here with Paul Gannis as Nixon. The people have a right to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I am a crook. Oh, I actually felt good to get that off my chest. The premise for this episode is like there's a time misplacement. They're time travelers in this show. Something happens where Nixon is not lying in a press conference and the team have to kidnap him and fix it. They have to extract some weird like mystical insect from Nixon that feeds off of lies. <laughs> so really, uh, uh, really funny premise in here. It's kind of a cheesy production, though. I know that I'm certainly only an adequate lover. The president won't be taking any more questions at this time. There is a lot more that we had, uh, which went on for like a half an hour. 
And also, from the time between when we recorded that and now, there was even another person that was announced to be playing Nixon in an upcoming TV show. I'll probably post the full run-through of that somewhere at some point, but what you see from even just that portion of it, there's a bit of a filtering process happening with the Nixon portrayals. Impressions of impressions, a dramatic license taken, or just colorful illustrations of a scary and mysterious time in politics. And yet they all kind of get at the same thing. The paranoia, a stern but uncool president. So tonight, to you, the great silent majority of my fellow Americans, I ask for your support. So to continue down this rabbit hole, I wanted to talk to someone who has a really good Nixon impression. Maybe someone who was around at the time and understood his vibe. Someone who could talk about how they perceive him and what inspires their approach to an impression. So I started to look around. Now, there are a few notable Nixon impressionists that got a lot of attention back when Tricky Dick was in the headlines. There was David Fry, who did a ton of audio plays and television appearances as Nixon. Let me just say this. A lot of people have said that I do not like Lyndon Johnson. I worship the quicksand this man walks on. There was also a comedian under the moniker Richard M. Dixon, whose whole act was being Nixon. Do you miss the splendor of the White House, Mr. Former President? Boy, oh, I miss that comfortable bathroom on the second floor. <laughs> right wing. Yes, I do. Nixon was such a huge figure that you could create a whole career out of doing an impression of him. And then there's an impressionist that is actually still performing today, Mr. Rich Little. That's why I always carry the American Express card. I use it for almost everything. Uh, payoffs, <laughs> tapes, uh, break-in equipment. He was on countless TV shows in the 60s and 70s. To name a few, Judy Garland Show, Dean Martin Celebrity Roasts, The Muppet Show, even had his own show at one time. Here's Mr. Little on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson in 1973. You know, my fellow Americans, I just got back from Hollywood where I was working on a new motion picture. It's called Planet of the Tapes. Rich Little was known for doing a lot of different impressions like Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne, Johnny Carson, Ronald Reagan. But his Nixon impression was the one that really stood out in his career. And he still does that impression today. The toes you step on today may be connected to the ass you have to catch tomorrow. <laughs> and while I was doing some research, in a weird coincidence, Rich Little now 82 years old, uh, was about to be performing as Richard Nixon in New York City, the city where I reside in, in an off-Broadway play called Trial on the Potomac, the Impeachment of Richard Nixon. Live and for the first time, the impeachment trial of a sitting president. We now go live to the chamber of the U.S. Senate. So, expert of the Nixon impression, during the Watergate era, still doing Nixon today, also a classic late-night talk show guest. This was perfect. This got me excited. I needed to go see the play. So one night last summer, Allegra and I went to see Trial on the Potomac in the heart of New York City. Wait, also see that red dress I was wearing? I just bought that on eBay. 
Okay, so first let me explain the premise of this play because it certainly stands out among the Nixon portrayals. It is set in an alternative timeline. Yeah, we're talking the multiverse. The timeline of the Watergate era, but instead of Nixon resigning from the presidency on August 8th, 1974, he decides to continue his term as president. Therefore, I shall not resign the presidency. Did he just say? Instead, I am staying right here. Which inevitably leads to his impeachment trial. The Senate impeachment trial of President Richard M. Nixon will come to order. So the majority of this play takes place during this fictitious what-if courtroom impeachment scenario. Like, what could have happened to Nixon if he didn't resign? How evidence could have been laid out in court? What the defense for the president could have been? Now I'm ready to testify, and you can't handle what's going to come out of my mouth. Thank you very much, Mr. Nixon. Step in. Your Honor, we have a couple of questions on cross-examination. What immediately stood out was... Despite Rich Little being known for his comedic impression of Nixon, this play was not a comedy. It was a lot more dramatic and a lot more unusual than I expected. How they cheated, how they lied, how they suppressed evidence, I knew, damn it, we had to fight! The play is inspired by a book published in 2015 titled The Real Watergate Scandal by Jeff Shepard, a lawyer who once worked for Nixon's defense team at the White House. In his book, he claims through various documents uncovered from the Watergate trials and impending impeachment trial, the prosecution's mishandling of the case and careless errors throughout the process were a much bigger scandal than Watergate itself, alluding to a secret plot by corrupt Democratic leadership to take down President Nixon. Here's Jeff Shepard talking about his book on uh, Steve Bannon's podcast. What really happened was that Nixon did resign. He, he'd been reelected and, and he was forced out of office. But it turns out he was forced out of office by a secret cabal of corrupt prosecutors, vindictive judges, and a complacent media. It was a takedown. And the uh, wonderful thing about it today, 50 years later, is they left a paper trail. That paper trail is a quote-unquote roadmap document that Jeff Shepard uncovered, which supposedly was the prosecution's plan to remove Nixon from office. So you're starting to see the path this play is headed. <laughs> Jeff Shepard is also a main character in Trial on the Potomac as the protagonist, a young lawyer with a bright future whose hard work in the White House pays off by triumphantly acquitting Nixon of any wrongdoing, you know, through those documents and additional theories that are laid out in his book. I, I didn't mean to be a part of history, but when President Nixon decided not to resign, I decided to help him fight. The characters assigned as antagonists in the play were historical figures like Democrat Senator Ted Kennedy. The media eyes on this. They hate Nixon. Then I have a clear run for the 76th presidency. Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Peter Redino. Why did you stop beating your wife, Mr. Redino? White House Counsel John Dean. I was set free without probation or parole. That was the deal. And Judge John Sirica, the judge in the Watergate trial. If we didn't impeach him, how many Republicans would have lost in the midterms? The deep state not? We answered. As we watched the play, we started to see the picture they wanted to paint to make Nixon out to be a victim of a collusion. Mr. President, you're saying you did not ask Alderman to stop the FBI investigation. 
we were protecting two democratic businessmen who had decided secretly to support me politically. Nothing more than that. But did any of the media try and find out what the hell really happened? No, no. Boy, did that make me bitter. Now, for me, I guess this can go one of two ways. I can now take a hard turn, do a deep dive on this, and fact check and cross-reference every Watergate document Jeff Shepard claims is undeniable evidence of wrongdoing, and pick apart every piece of dialogue and trial on the Potomac. But I decided not to do that. Yes, there are characters in Watergate who wanted to get ahead of the game and prosecute Nixon, or people who just didn't comply with investigations and later did. This play wants to show that Watergate was not that big of a deal and overshadowed the successes of Nixon, and that the other side was way worse. Watergate is a very complicated subject. I've spent so much time reading, watching documentaries, various other research over the past year. I've heard my fair share of White House tapes. I would have to do a multi-part series to cover just the surface level of that scandal. But really, Watergate probably overshadows the worst things Nixon has done as president. I mean, look up all the White House plumbers' dirty tricks, the Ellsberg break-in, the Houston plan. All of that stuff was because of the environment Nixon created in the White House. Jeff Shepard and the writer of the play, George Bugatti, used the political flaws of an impeachment trial as an excuse to subvert important lessons in American history. So I'm not sure I want to walk into another conspiracy theory in the form of an off-Broadway play. Like, of course there is now a revisionist history drama rethinking a political scandal, blaming corrupt Democrats on a fake impeachment, saying the media has a deep hatred of the president, and then said president soapboxing at the end that he actually won an election that he lost because thousands of dead people voted. Oh, the 1960 election, I think history will show that I won. You know where I'm going here. So instead, I'm just going to get back to what I originally was going to do. Talk to someone who can do a pretty good Nixon impression. So, I was actually able to book some time with Rich Little to talk about his version of Nixon, his career, and a little bit about Trial on the Potomac. So here he is, the only man I know who can be anyone he feels like, Mr. Rich Little! <laughs> Rich Little, thank you for taking the time to talk. Did you think you would be playing Nixon 50 years later? <laughs> no, no, I thought uh, Nixon was uh, long gone. Yeah. Uh, I did him a lot um, way back in the 60s and 70s. I was watching a clip of you on Johnny Carson doing him. Yeah. What was that experience like compared to now uh, doing Nixon? It's well, different I context. Was, I was doing Nixon back then um, as comedy, you know, and it wasn't dramatic like the play is. I've never done Nixon before seriously. It was always for laughs in my act. So this is quite a change for me. Has your perception of Nixon changed? Yeah, it has a bit. I was never that big a fan because I thought he was arrogant and um, covering things up, which he did to a certain extent. But I don't think Watergate was as bad as they made it out to be. Watergate came along today would be an item on the back page of a newspaper and probably, you know, forgotten in a couple of days. And he didn't go to trial, and that's what our play is all about, if there was a trial. Let's talk a little bit about the play. How did you come to the project? 
through George Brigatti, um, who is um, responsible for uh, writing the, the play, and um, he contacted me, and um, I was kind of interested, but I didn't know whether it would be that great a project. I didn't know whether Nixon would be, um, you know, people would be interested really in Nixon today. I, I, I had my doubts about it. But I, you know, I, I thought I would take a, a crack at it, and as it turned out, it's a pretty good play, and it's very well written, and um, uh, I think if you're interested in the past or in, in politics, uh, you'll get a lot out of it. So what, what does it take to do a Nixon impression? Like, what are the mannerisms and, like, the things you do with your voice? Well, the way he talked, <laughs> my fellow Americans, you know, and the way he moved. Yeah, very interesting person to um, portray because uh, he was kind of uh, flat-footed and, um, and hunched over and um, had certain arm movements that uh, I maybe exaggerate, but he was a bit uncoordinated, and uh, he wore the same dark suit, I think, every day of his life. And that's why his walk was so bad, because he never took the hanger out of it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you do a lot of different presidential yeah. impressions. Yeah. I feel like now, uh, the past couple of years, it's been really polarizing to kind of poke fun at any political figure. Have you seen audience reactions change over the past few years? Well, you know, you got to be careful because um, the Democrats are very powerful. And, uh, and if you drew a conclusion in the play that he was innocent, I think they would react to that. So the way it's left in the play is you make up your own mind whether he's guilty or innocent. And I think it's a great way to end the play. Would you say that's kind of when you're um, performing outside of the play? Do you see a similar reaction where people will maybe not laugh as hard at a certain impression if it's a certain audience or from a different area? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm performing uh, regularly uh, at the Tropicana in Las Vegas. I've been there for five years. And my audience is pretty conservative. They're older people and uh, they're very conservative, so I can... Uh, get a good reaction out of doing Biden. And, uh, you know, if it, were, if it was more of a liberal crowd, it would, I would get some static over that. This play in general seems like an uncoincidental time to come out because we had uh, an impeachment earlier this year. A little bit of the play addresses that. Well, there's a lot of parallels between Donald Trump and Nixon. Yeah. You know, the, the press hated both of them. And uh, the press uh, bought both of them down, actually. What the similarities between those two is that they both seem to kind of contribute to their own downfall. And that they were very self-obsessed and they really needed the media and also hated it. Yeah. Have you picked up on that in your impressions over the years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not uh, particularly political. I've always done kind of dumb jokes. I mean, having politicians say stupid things and that, that gets a laugh. But I'm not really a satirist. I'm not a political satirist right. in the true sense of the word, you know, like a Mark Russell is or, or uh, you know, some of the other people that do satire. I'm, I'm a comedian sort of poking fun at, at leaders. I've been doing it all my life. And uh, my favorite politician was always Ronald Reagan. Uh -huh. Well... Well, <laughs> how do you feel, Mr. President? Well, thank you. <laughs> but he was great. I loved Ronald Reagan. He had a wonderful sense of humor, and um, I spent a lot of time with him, and we, we would talk about movies. He loved to talk about movies. And not that he made any great films. Well, a couple, but not many. You've met Richard Nixon, too, correct? Richard Nixon, yes. I did meet Richard Nixon at a party at San Clemente 
early in my career. I'd only been in the States a, a couple of months. I'd done a lot of television. So I, you know, visually was, was known by a lot of people. But I, I hadn't really made my mark yet. But I was invited to this garden party at San Clemente that Nixon threw, and all of Hollywood was there. This is back in the 60s. And, you know, Hollywood was, was conservative back then, not like it is today. And I went to this party, and um, my God, my whole act was there. George Burns, Jack Benny, Jimmy Stewart, Glenn Campbell, Glenn Ford, they were all there. And I ended up doing Nixon in front of him. I actually uh, was doing Richard Nixon, and he, he didn't know who I was doing when I was doing him. I'm doing my Nixon in front of him, and he, he turned to his wife, Pat, and said, why is this young man speaking in this strange voice? <laughs> so he, he didn't get it. Um, so when you're back in Vegas, how's your Nixon impression going to change? Well, I, I, the, the only bet I do on Nixon in my act, as I say, uh, my fellow Americans, you know, after looking at Joe Biden, hell, am I starting to look pretty damn good. <laughs> Did you have that when Trump was, did you have that one when Trump yeah. was in? Yeah, it's a big reaction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, great. Thank you, Rich. I really appreciate it. Um, oh, you're this welcome. This is a pleasure. It is interesting to see Rich Little's perspective of Nixon change throughout the years, evolving the way the Republican Party evolved. But anyway, we truly cannot escape the everlasting cement handprint of Richard Nixon in popular culture, especially in the political climate we're in today. Now we're in the 50th anniversary of Watergate, we're revisiting that time even more. Did anyone watch Gaslit on Stars? Should the Nixon administration be afraid of you? Well, I think you know the answer to that. You know, I was curious. What was a historian's perspective on all of this? We're consuming all this information from a historic time in America, mostly from fiction. Maybe that's pretty common in a media-obsessed country, but I feel like I knew about Nixon, the cartoon character, before I knew anything about his presidency. So I reached out to Luke Nichter, a historian and professor at Chapman University. I don't go to the beautiful museum and exhibits. I go right to the subterranean windowless research room because what I'm there to see are the records. Professor Nichter, along with his colleague Douglas Brinkley, published two books, two big books, both called the Nixon Tapes, which consist of a ton of transcriptions of a ton of archive tapes from Nixon's White House. You know, you learn kind of how Nixon had you know, kind of this kind of temper sometimes, you know, during Vietnam when, you know, he, he didn't like reasons like, well, the, you know, it's terrible weather today. We couldn't uh, fulfill our missions and our sorties. What I'm getting at, Henry, is that we, <laughs> let's, let's kid ourselves, are, is the weather lifting or is this a false report again or what no, is it? No, I think it is lifting. It is to give a little context to the Nixon White House tapes, President Nixon had taping systems installed in the Oval Office, the Cabinet Room, the old Executive Office building, along with various phone lines throughout the White House from 1971 to 1973 in order to accurately document conversations and decisions made in his administration. These were sound-activated tape machines, so they automatically recorded when a conversation started. Professor Nichter has a website, nixontapes.org, 
where you can listen to the most complete digitized Nixon tape collection available directly to the public. Five to seven percent of the the Nixon White House tapes, uh, which we now know 3,432 hours of tapes, only about five to seven percent, the portions about Watergate, had really ever been transcribed, published, publicized in any way. I thought, hey, you know, maybe these would be interesting to look into. And so that really started me down this path. So gradually over the past 50 years, more and more tapes and documents have been coming out from the Nixon presidency. The most recent batch of those tapes, about 400 hours worth, only came out in 2013. And actually, there's still almost 500 hours of tapes that haven't even been released at all. You know, Watergate was in the courts in some way, almost unbroken from 1973 to 2001, I think it was. And the library didn't open until 1990. Uh, and opened not as part of the National Archive system, like all the other libraries, but as a private entity, because his people couldn't come to terms with the federal government. They didn't agree on a lot of things. And so the, the records of the Nixon years, they didn't actually make it out here where I am, to Orange County, California, at the Nixon Library, until 2010, 2011. Nixon had been dead since 1994. So I would actually argue we're actually, you know, much more closer to the kind of the infancy of the Nixon history because it really has been so few years that the records have been out, you know, at a library that's been run by the federal government and there's still so many more records to be open. So this definitely plays a role in why even today we're still talking about Nixon and there are still newsworthy things coming out. I mean, We've seen some recent tapes come out where Nixon is saying some really homophobic things or racist things or anti-Semitic things. We have not heard that before. With a majority of the tapes coming out, though, we're able to almost piece together every single day of the Watergate era in the White House, word for word. There is a fascinating book that did that, which came out in 2021 by Michael Dobbs called King Richard. It chronicles in amazing detail the days of the Nixon White House when the tape systems were installed. Another book came out this year, 2022, called Watergate, A New History, which claims it is a definitive history of the era. I do not doubt there will be more books and movies and TV shows and podcasts to continue to come out indefinitely. I mentioned Gaslit, the Stars TV show about Watergate. There's another one coming out on HBO called The White House Plumbers. So there's even more coming out this year. I think we're going to continue to learn a lot of new things about these tapes and about the years and, and really important, interesting years in American history that they document because no one's gotten through all the ones that are already open and because we have so many more that still aren't opened. As we drift further and further away in time from the actual event, there is the inevitable revisionism that evolves as these stories are retold. Sometimes manipulative and misleading, sometimes beneficial and insightful, sometimes just by mistake, but it's always because of how our current events and attitudes affect or change the way we look at past events. So much has happened in the world in the past few years, it is inevitable we start to look at past troubled times for some sort of guidance or calibration. You know, I think we've all lived through the Trump years, and regardless of someone's, you know, political views, they give us a sense for how the Nixon years were. The president versus the press, a divided country, 
an unpopular war. And oftentimes this revisionism happens not because we feel, you know, we like Nixon or Trump more. A lot of times it's the context or because something worse comes along. You know, the Nixon years, you look back at the headlines of the Nixon years and you look at the headlines of the Trump years, the Nixon years begin to look a little bit quaint. And you don't forgive all that went on. So I think, you know, there's a natural revisionism in the Nixon years, which takes place like all presidents. And I think part of it is different because you have so many tapes still to be released, so many documents, and because it was so politically charged. It's funny how politically charged Watergate has become again. I mean, Jeff Shepard is only asked to be a guest on Steve Bannon's podcast or Newsmax so they can use him and his book to try to make the connection that Trump was also framed by a deep state or whatever. I want to talk about the Steele dossier right now. It's been in the news a lot lately. Maybe you've heard about this, but some eerie parallels have been discovered almost 50 years later. But anyways, what does Luke Nichter think about all this? How does he feel about all these portrayals of Nixon in TV and film? Well, he actually saw the play Allegra and I saw, Trial on the Potomac. I asked him what he thought of Rich Little and some other famous Nixon portrayals. It seems like all the greats in Hollywood have played Nixon at some point. Um, you know, I helped, I'm looking over here in my office, uh, John Cusack sent me a uh, photo after I helped. He's played Nixon as vice president and president. Frank Langella did a great one. Anthony Hopkins did a great Nixon, although it, well, it wasn't very close to Nixon, I don't think, after the tapes came out. Uh, I think that the Nixon you have in this play might be the best I've ever, I've ever seen. I mean, really, really good. I mean, not perfect. I think the monologue at the end, there are some things that were not quite Nixon-like. But this is a really good Nixon. I mean, it might be the best overall. Langella, I love Frank Langella as Nixon. But they kind of invented some things that never happened during the Frost-Nixon talks. But this is really good. So Rich Little is still the reigning champion of the Nixon impression. Something I appreciate about Luke Nichter is that he also told me he tries not to pay too much attention to Nixon dramatizations because, you know, he's a historian, so he doesn't want to subconsciously end up confusing what actually happened with a story being told in a movie. But yeah, he recognizes how much these stories really alter our perception of Nixon. People who didn't live through those years, like our under understanding, you know, in air quotes, of Nixon is in a sense like we've made him into this tremendous figure, whether you like him or not, that I'm not sure he really was. I mean, it's it's fascinating in a way, like Nixon in a sense is kind of unbound by, by history and records and has become something, I think, in a sense, other than what he really was. And, and this play contributes to this, but so do some of these, these other portrayals of Nixon. So it's my mother's memory. You think I want the whole goddamn world to see my mother like this, raising a dirty mouth? Well, we can start again. Jesus it means uh, we don't really have the staff to do that. Then start over. Just start over. The world will see only what I show them. So what am I trying to say here? Well, I guess that at different times and different eras, different mediums and different platforms, they all affect the way we view things that have happened. And people tend to pick and choose their favorite perspective. I think we've all noticed that. To be honest, it's kind of fun to see these portrayals and try to find what people are trying to say with them. I think Richard Nixon himself is still the one who gets the most out of all of this. And Luke Nichter had a great quote about that. 
We're talking about Nixon because we haven't figured him out yet. And I think the conversation that we're having, I think, would make Nixon smile in a way, because I think Nixon was a believer as a politician that it's far better to be hated than forgotten. But how do we know the true intentions of a person or the vibe of an era that is drifting further and further away? I'm still not really sure, but I think the best case in this scenario is listening to the tapes, the White House tapes. The truest portrayal of Richard Nixon perhaps is what we heard on those tapes, candid conversations that were not meant to be heard by the public. God damn it, I'm never going to discuss this son of a bitching Watergate thing again. Never, 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 never. But you agree? Yes, sir. But the dramatized TV shows and movies, they still have a place here. They're a great measurement of what public opinion was like at a certain time and what we were feeling about other parts of our society. It certainly says something about society at this time that we have a play that is trying to erase the wrongdoings of Richard Nixon. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed listening to this. This episode took way too long to make. My apologies to everyone involved, especially Allegra Frank, who has been very patient with me and my Nixon obsession. I would also like to thank Luke Nichter and Rich Little for talking to me. But yeah, uh, you can check out our blog at awylatt.com. That stands for Aw Would You Look at the Time. Or you can just talk to us on Twitter or Twitch at A-W-Y-L-A-T-T. And let me know what your favorite Nixon portrayal is. Okay, talk to you later.